Hello, and welcome to the official podcast of Bishop Malcolm Smith. These teachings are recorded live each week and provided not only here on the podcast, but at youtube.com. Simply go to youtube.com and look for Malcolm Smith webinars in the search engine there. We also want to invite you to go to www.malcolmsmith.org. There you will find other teachings by Malcolm, including books, videos, and MP3 downloads. And now, with this week's teaching, Bishop Malcolm Smith. The Lord be with you all. And I want to finish up today what we started last week on the story of David and Goliath from 1 Samuel chapter 17. Before we get there, let me quickly say that um, our offer that we were giving the last couple of weeks concerning my new book that ends actually today and so um, may the Lord bless every one of you that pre-ordered you should have your book by now or you'll get it in the next day or two Uh, and may it bless you and I mean that it took me 60 years of meditation Uh, yeah 60 years Um, it seemed I would never get to the bottom of the well of the prodigal son Um, but finally I wrote down and already I could write another book I think anyway um, it's a tremendous story and and I trust as now you can buy the book um, and Uh, Use it for your Bible study. There's so much in there. This is something that uh, get together six or 20 of your friends and those interested, searching, groping after the grace of God and find your identity in Christ in this tremendous story. Okay. In 1 Samuel 17 and... Uh, I am assuming that you know this story and enough to follow me along with it. But I want to read from verse 37. Moreover, David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion, from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Okay, um, last week we saw how Jesus casts a shadow back through all of history. And we find these images of Jesus throughout the Old Testament. In fact, that is the message of the Old Testament. The shadow that Jesus casts backward right through to the, the beginning of the Bible. And this is one of them. And we saw, and I trust it helped you to understand what it means to be in Christ, as Israel indeed was in David. But this week, I want to look at David again. Same story. But this time, there's another shadow there. It's a shadow of the believer, you and I, Uh, as we live and move in our covenant union in Christ. It is the source of our boldness and our eager expectancy as we confront adversity and the powers of darkness. I want you to understand right at the get-go, have you ever wondered why the Old Testament is so full of battles, these these people trying to wipe out Israel? Well, there's more than one answer to that, but uh, the main answer to that is that from Genesis 3.15, that's the beginning of everything, that one verse, and in there it says that the seed of the serpent... And the serpent being Satan, the devil, the great dragon. Uh, And the dragon was intent upon destroying Jesus before he ever got born. And so the, the seed of the serpent, those who partook of satanic 
life, you might say in a most general sense, demonized persons in the Old Testament, they had one agenda, and that was to wipe out Israel, and in so doing, wipe out Jesus, the Messiah, who was within that great family of persons, waiting eventually to be born of the Virgin Mary. And so you you can look, and you've got all the evidence behind you that when you come to these enemies that we come across in the Old Testament, you are dealing with demonic forces confronting the people of God. Okay? You notice in the New Testament, suddenly demons are unmasked. Jesus unmasked them. They were no longer hidden as they are in the Old Testament. And he dealt with the demonic power, finally and absolutely stripping of authority. So it becomes a different story in the New Testament. Um, but here we have uh, this, well, you've got first of all the army of Israel facing the Philistine. Then you have David face the Philistine. Before we get into it, this is the story that certainly is going to be, what can I say, light and incisive blessing to those persons who, as you listen to me now, you are facing the darkness of this world in some specific way, something, some uh, person or persons or uh, that that conglomeration of events, whatever it is, but it forms a darkness, a barrier of darkness, a, a, a terrible darkness in front of you to the point, and this I'm using my words very carefully here, there has come upon you a sense. I'm not going to say you'd even say it, but it is a sense that God is absent, that doesn't merge with what you say you believe, but there's this sense that God is abandoned. I'm left alone here, and nothing's happening, and the darkness, like a great black hole, is sucking me into it. It's, it's, it's that sense you can't see beyond what is happening right now. You can't see beyond. There's nothing beyond. Or, or to put it another way, um, you, you cannot imagine hope. You cannot... There's no expectancy. There's no excitement of the future left in you. This is the way it is. This is the way it is. And, and, and that's a certain despair. It's the way it is. This is as good as it gets. And when it comes to the life that you see recorded as the life of the believer in the New Testament, which is where you and I live, the fact is you just can't even imagine it. Okay, do you know the persons I'm talking about? Are you one of them? That, that's as we get into the story. Is it that you just you feel shackled? You, you feel that there's no point in thinking of living the kind of life that is portrayed in the pages of the New Testament? No, this is as good as it gets, which is a long way, long way from there. You're in bondage to such thinking. And, and when you think about it, you get angry with, with it. It's not supposed to be that way. You, you'd be angry at God because it's not supposed to be this way and you're not doing anything about it. And you hear reports of other people and you become angry and envious of them. And at the same time, ashamed that you live where you do, overshadowed by this darkness. And so it's not only a matter of, of this oppression of spirit, but it's, it's a mental thing. It's something we often leave out, as, as if the ways of God just sort of zap us. But, but it's a mental thing, it's a mental process. You can't think of living a life that is portrayed in the scripture, can't think of it. It's emotional. 
I've used the word, you know, dismay, uh, despair, disillusioned. Can even affect you. Well, it does affect your body. You you become actually sick. Yes, you get sick, or at least your body sort of hangs over, and you become one who stares at the ground all the time because there's despair. You see. Okay, this story describes the way out. You know, this story is so often called the David and Goliath. Well, of course. That that's as good as any. But the fact is, can you hear me on this? This is really not the story of David and Goliath. Goliath actually plays a very small part in the story. This is the story of how people thought. This is a story about thinking either with my natural flesh or thinking with a mindset of the Holy Spirit. This story is all about two ways of thinking, two ways of perceiving what's happening to me, two ways of imagining life in relation to God. Okay, that's enough talk there. Here he is, David, and we went through this story last week. So I'll just touch on it here and there. He's only a teenager, young teenager. I'd place him even 14, maybe 15. Uh, he was too young for the draft. That's why he wasn't one of the soldiers in the battle. He was still back there looking after sheep. But I am fascinated with this young fellow because he had a grasp of the covenant that God had made with Abraham and then of course uh, fleshed out in certain ways with, with Moses but he had in the New Testament the words linked together are understanding and wisdom um, sometimes it's wisdom and understanding wisdom is is able to see how the purposes and the intentions of God are all um, the blueprint underneath everything. It's what holds everything together. Uh, and understanding, that's a fascinating word. It, it actually means um, bringing all the bits and pieces together so they make sense. Um, it, it comes, the word in the Greek language comes from where two rivers come and merge into one. That is this river and that river, but it comes one river. The pieces come together. And, and, and that, that's what we desperately need, the Holy Spirit to teach us how all of life is really undergirded by the intention of God's love for us. And to have understanding to see how the bits and pieces that you read in Scripture come together and make sense out of this moment I find myself in. And David had that. He had it. And really, he stood alone in his family, that's for sure, but also stood alone in his generation. He understood the covenant relationship. I, I'm fascinated not only that he was so young, but also how difficult it was to get a hold of the Bible of those days. The Bible, such a, I mean, they didn't have the Bible, but their Bible was essentially the book of Deuteronomy. There was other stuff floating around, but that was really it. But it was difficult. I mean, it was all handwritten and in great big scrolls, and you had to be able to read. But David had it. I, I don't know, but he did. And, and when I, I say what I've said, um, wasn't difficult. It, it took reading what God had declared concerning himself and what he wanted in terms of his relationship to human beings. 
So it's not difficult. What what is it that God, what is the word that God has spoken? And it was all there in the book of Deuteronomy. And did God mean what he said? Yes, then trust him. He means what he said. Take him at his word. He's made up his mind about this. And so stake your life on it. Make your bed here. Rest in that. And when you come into any situation in life, you ask, what does God think about this? What are God's thoughts? What is God's imagination about this situation in my life right now? And, and what does he say about this? And that becomes the north star by which I walk in this situation. And so David had a very strong grasp of the covenant. That is, that God gave his total self to humans. And it began with Abraham. And Abraham becomes the waypointer that God gives himself to us. We can't earn that. We can't do something to deserve it. So we trust in God's word, who he is, that he cannot lie. And I rest there in what God has said. And that's in Genesis 15. And, and David based his life there. In fact, in a few, well, it could be months from 1 Samuel 17, this is a Goliath story, maybe a few months at the most a year, he's going to start recording his psalms, this little chap, David. And in those psalms, which become David's uh, rehearsal of who he is and where he stands in relation with God, he keeps using the expression, the Lord is my... And you can fill in many blanks in the Psalms there. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my light, my salvation, my strength, my sword, my shield. On and on and on it goes. All over the Psalms, the Lord is my. What does it mean? The Lord in the totality of who he is, is now in this present moment, as the clock is now ticking off the seconds, the Lord is right now as I face what I face. My, that is, the Lord is at this moment united to my. And then what is it that this situation demands? Demands strength, it demands insight, demands light, it demands care and guidance, whatever. The Lord is my, and he's everything I need. That describes the covenant relationship. And then back there in Deuteronomy chapter 28, it describes the blessings, that is the empowerments, the abilities that are supernaturally given to the person who trusts this God of the covenant. And it speaks there as well as in, in Leviticus that, that you little person, weak though you might be, you shall be given ability of men far beyond your number that is it looks like there's only one of you but it, the the enemy will see 10 or 20 of you and you'll have the ability of the 10 or 20 and also in Deuteronomy chapter 20 we referred to it before that it it says that when these people come to try and destroy you these demonized persons in such a day understand the battle is the lords He's fighting for you. Just show up with whatever's in your hand and you shall be used by this God who loves you and loves his purpose that he will bring forth his Jesus. And, and, and these persons will never be able to touch you. Well, David had put that to the test. He said, when I'm looking after my sheep and here comes a lion, here comes a bear. What, what, what? He says, well, the Lord is my strength. You see, he took the covenant right into his daily job, which were sheep and bears and lions who tried to eat the sheep. And, and, and it, it, you say, it's not very spiritual. 
No, that, that's your trouble, you see. You divide life into spiritual and secular. There's no such thing. All of life, all of, all of life, whatever thing you do in your office, your factory, your home, in play, whatever, all is an expression of this union that you have with him. So here comes a lion to eat the sheep, and David sees that as an opportunity to let the covenant happen. And he tears the lion apart with his bare hands, and so the bear. It's all the same to him. There's no what, what happens in private, what happens in public. He's a, he's a teenager in covenant. Any teenagers listening to this, please take me very seriously. I, I began my walk in union, in intimacy, in coming to know this incredible God in the face of Jesus. I began that when I was 13. And when I was... Um, coming into 14 I, I had an experience of the Holy Spirit that forever changed me thrust me out to talk to the world about this message and oh yeah by the time I was 17 I had memorized the New Testament and please teenagers don't, <laughs> the devil always takes the youngest and we always say you've got to wait till you grow up no, teenagers, this story is specifically about a teenager. As I say, he was too young to be out there at the battlefront as the Philistines had come up to face Israel. His brothers were off to the battle. David's at home looking after the sheep. And, and so his father says, go and, and take the, the, this, it was actually sort of popcorn, to, to your brothers. And, and here's some cheese for their, you know, sergeant or whatever. And, and, and take it and see what's happening. And David is very excited because remember, he has read, understands Deuteronomy 20. Here's a battle. That's what Deuteronomy talks about. God said, I'll look after you. The battle is mine. I'll fight to the point where if you're scared, go home. Because I don't want scared people in the battle. I'll handle it. So he's excited. What's he going to see? The glory of God protecting Israel. Off he goes. Ah. Oh. He's in for a sad shock. When he gets to the battle, he finds the Israelite army. Huh. For six weeks, morning and evening, this monstrous creature, nine foot tall and proportioned, he wasn't just nine feet skinny, he, he was nine feet and muscular to go with it and had this enormous armor all bronze shining in the sun with a headdress on top of it all and and it says when when israel the army had looked at him they were dismayed and afraid dismayed you know what that means the bottom drops out of your stomach it, it, it means that you try to say something but nothing comes out you're terrified and further on it uses that it says they were dreadfully afraid which means that they were terrorized they, all they'd done for six weeks is turn their backs to this creature and run they were terrified and at the same time ashamed well what's wrong with them they, they, they ask themselves as they're running for their lives away from him the only imagination they can have is to imagine the worst now this, this company of people they were not just any company they were the army of Israel and Israel chosen by God to be the bearers of the Messiah, of Jesus. They were the ones, it was their job to bring the whole message of who God is and God's purpose and God's man 
who is God incarnate, bring him to the world. That was their job. They were covenant people in union with God. They, they were the shadow people of you and I today. And this covenant people did not know who they were. That sounds crazy. But they did not know who they were. They, they didn't realize their identity as covenant people. They didn't realize that God was in them. All of that, everything that David knew so well, they were ignorant of it. Covenant people who had access to the strength and the wisdom and the understanding that only God can give. But they went on uh, as if they were like anybody else and they had to fight their battle just like anybody else. They're like the people the New Testament mentions as having a form of godliness but denying the power. You know, just read the Bible, sometimes publicly read it, but nobody ever believes that could really happen today. You just do that sort of stuff in church and, and sing hymns about this glorious God without any reference to any happening of it today. They, they believe the pop songs on the radio more than they believe the hymns they sing. That was this people. And that's why they stand terrified, paralyzed before this fellow. As he comes every morning, that's what they got for breakfast, he comes and he says, give me, give me your hero, give me your champion. Let the one of you come out and fight me and that will be the end of the war. Nobody moved. He was back again for dinner. Every morning, every night, there he is, cursing them, mocking them. He's getting closer and closer in, in, in standing. He's almost inside their trenches. They're demoralized. Uh, disappointed in themselves, discouraged, all those words would fit, disillusioned. I mean, why doesn't God do something? That's where they did remember, sort of, perhaps maybe they were God's people, that they had a purpose and a meaning in life. And so God had said, somewhere they forget where, but God had said he would look after them. Well, why don't you do it? I, we, we stand here and, and we're going to be destroyed by these Philistines. This can't go on. This is six weeks already. We, we can't go on like this. Why doesn't God do something? I mean, if there's a God, why does he allow this? That was the conversation around the fires of the night. That's what they talked about during the day. Well, why doesn't God do something? And the whole idea of acting in faith had gone sort of flushed down the toilet some years before when the same people, the Philistines, only Goliath wasn't around then, but um, the Philistines had attacked and, and they were losing. Israel was losing the battle and and so they went and they brought the Ark of the Covenant. That, that was that golden box that was inside the Holy of Holies where the presence of God was. They weren't supposed never to touch it, but they, they brought it out and they took it to the front lines and they said, here's our God. And they thought this would do it, this would do it. The, the, the Philistines will, will back off at this, but they didn't. And the Philistines captured the ark. That, that didn't go over too well. They, they thought, well, we tried faith. No, that wasn't faith. That was treating God like he was magic. Like you had a formula now, do this and they'll run away. But of course, at this point in time, all they can remember, we tried it, it didn't work, we're disillusioned. And that gets down into your mind, as I said, your emotions, your body, you're tired, you're weary. These men, they look haggard and their eyes are bloodshot as they look out one more time at this person. They're weary in thinking because they're thinking now in very tight little circles around and around. Nothing works. No hope. The words they talk to each other, 
It doesn't matter. Does anything matter? You just keep... What do we do next? We do what we do next. It's... God doesn't care. At that point, and who hasn't been there, but at that point, Satan has them on his side. Well, they, they don't intend that. They, they probably would never admit it, but their actions betray them. Satan has them on his side. We've gotten beyond any temptation. Satan has them. Why? Because they're passively accepting circumstances. This is the way it is. As I said a moment ago, this is as good as it gets. Nothing's going to change. And if they ever could strain toward it, it was so vague, you know, you know, I'm quoting all the time here. This is what is happening today. We've all, we know what's going on. When, and and the, the best they could say is, well, I, I suppose God will do something someday. They could never tie God down. They could never think of, like, perhaps now. No. Nor could they even think what he would do. But sometime, somewhere, someday, something. It's amazing how people call that a prayer meeting. And they, 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 that turns into complaining. They complain about their situation. And anybody who might have a spark of hope uh, is uh, hor horribly criticized. I mean, anybody with a right mind can see there's no hope. They're this kind of impossible thinking. It corrupts. Corrupts a whole people, a whole army. No, nobody has, has anything left in them to do anything except listen to this. They're, they've got a paralyzed mind. They can't think beyond right now. Yeah, they're... Their prayer meetings would be not only the someday, perhaps something. If ever they really got serious about prayer, they could never rise beyond, oh God, take this away. Make him go away. Get us out of here. Rescue us from here. And if they'd ever prayed that, and if they ever got adrift to what God was up to, the answer would be no. Because I'm using this to take you to a new level of being the people of God, a new level of experiencing the grace of God, which we talked about some weeks ago in Second Corinthians 12, when Paul said that, take this away, and God says, my grace, my empowering presence is enough for you. Okay, into that black hole of sucking unbelief and hopelessness and despair comes this 14-year-old kid singing, excited, expectant. <laughs> you know, this that I'm trying to give words to, this hopelessness, this passivity that it can't get any better and probably get worse the, the, the idea that nothing is going to change and certainly no supernatural intervention is even talked about that black dark what moldy corrupting atmosphere there's a certain location see that that's an energy it's a dark energy and when I say it sucks you in I mean that quite literally and it has a location has a geography you could say it has airspace atmosphere what what a have you never you go among certain people and you feel you've walked into this it's like walking into black molasses uh, and 
you can feel it sucking you down as if I dare you to be excited. I dare you to hope in anything. There's nothing. This is the way it is. And, and actually, I say it again, and I'm not being silly about this. It's got a location. You, you get into this atmosphere. I, I can say that I've traveled from city to city, church to church, and, and as I come, sometimes when I meet the pastor at the airport, I'm beginning to feel it. It, it's very real. David comes into that airspace, which is just throbbing with this terrible, sucking energy of death. And he doesn't seem to notice it. He spoke hope. Every word he said was expectancy. A faith. Never mentioned the word, but it's in every word he says. His mind sums up the situation. He remembers the lion, he remembers the bear. Well, what's the difference between this this hairy monster out there and the other things? Are No different. Just a lot more people around, but no different. God's my deliverer. That was his first thought. Hear, hear those words. His first thought. When he, when he summed up the situation, what are we waiting for? The God of covenant, the God who has committed himself, will surely deliver us in exactly the way he said he would. That was his first thought. And that first thought was full of possible. As in, with God all things are possible. You know, the the first great temptation is to have a debate with the first thought you have your first thought I, I will say I was going to say usually no it's beyond usually your first thought is where the heart of God is and, and debate is what, what are you thinking don't be daft and, and come have a second thought see I mean, in the New Testament, Peter's first thought was, if it's you, bid me come and walk on the water. What a daft thought. Oh, his first thought, and it was right, and Jesus says, come on. Well, once he started walking on the water, he had a second thought. The second thought was, what am I doing here? And he began to sink. You see what I mean? David's first thought was the possible that is in the God of covenant, the possible in this moment now in the light of everything God has said and committed himself to and as he's talking and of course he's talking to his brothers that's the chaps he went to see and, and, and so they sneer then they get angry because they're feeling ashamed of the words that are coming out and they, they because I mean they're his older brothers they're soldiers if anybody's going to give a commentary on what's happening with the fellows, we're the experts here. Well, who are you? Our kid brother? What are you doing here anyway? You probably snuck away from the sheep. And they're sarcastic and they mock him. They're basically saying, it's about time, kid, you had a second thought. What you're saying is stupid. Go home. Go home. Get out of here. Leave this to the experts. And let's not tell him we've been waiting here for six weeks. Um, you know, there's an uh, expression that almost demands a whole hour, but in Hebrews 4, it, it says, Let us labor to enter into rest. And, and Paul, at the end of his life, said, I fought the good fight. The grace of God doesn't mean you lay in a hammock and let God act. The grace of God means you are empowered to stand against everything that would seek to stop you from entering into God's rest. David had to labor. David's real fight was before he ever met Goliath. To stand, and having done all to stand, 
against the words of his fellow family, but beyond that, the fellow covenant people who didn't know who they were. His number one weapon was rest. Resting in the covenant God. I'm showing up, but I'm showing up to draw from the faithfulness of God, and therefore I am continually at rest. I am not in the anxiety of trying to find something inside of me, native and natural to me. I am resting in the power, the presence, and the faithfulness of God to be in me and through me to protect his people. And so he doesn't react to Goliath. When, when Goliath sent out his challenge, which he, David got there just in time as the, the fellow started the show, and, and everybody reacts to it. Have you seen this fellow? David doesn't react to Goliath, nor does he react to his brothers or to anybody else. He has a mind that is set, anchored into God's word, which in the New Testament opens up to the covenant that is in the blood of Jesus here in us now by the Holy Spirit. And therefore there is no fear, there's no panic. He in fact was releasing into that black atmosphere, he was releasing God faith and God joy and God hope. You know, there's a verse, this could again take another hour, Romans 15, 13, and it tells us there that joy, this joy we're talking about, and this hope that we're talking about is a direct result of your believing, trusting, resting in who God is and the word he's spoken. So really you never have to think about joy or peace or hope or any other. Just trust in who God is. Against everything you see and against everything you hear, trust who he is revealed in Jesus. Trust what he says in his spoken word. And that being the case, then the joy and the peace is there. And so David rests in God and he doesn't listen to his brothers. His brothers, you say, oh boy, I, I meet his brothers almost every day. Sooner or later they, they show up. You know what I mean? They, they come, I tell you the, what, they, they, they come and they want you to have a part in the movie that they are producing. You know those people? They come to you uh, and they're overflowing with panic and they, they want you to get involved and panic with them. They're full of anxiety and they want you to respond, yes, I'm anxious. You take a part in my movie. Be one of the actors in my drama. And I say, no, thanks, keep it. I, I, I don't want to become a star in your movie. In fact, I am producing my own movie right now. Yeah. The opposite of yours. He, he refuses to go where his brothers were. He brought a new atmosphere. And at this point, the atmosphere that he brought, the airspace air that he get, occupied with joy and peace and faith was about as big as himself. But it had the potential to fill all of Israel. Listen to this, David, just by what David believed concerning God and how that related to everything in life, that changed everything. And all he did was show up. You know how a person full of complaint and whining and victim and misery, when they show up, they can change the whole atmosphere of a whole building. You ever thought the greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world and the joy in you and the rest and the trust can change everything just by you showing up in the room. He created an atmosphere filled with God possible. 
He created uh, what environment where we're saying, Holy Spirit, this is you. This is your opportunity to make manifest the purpose of God. Well, he kept talking enough that Saul, the king, heard and had him brought to the royal tent. It's like going into the Oval Office of the White House. Like being summoned to Buckingham Palace. And of course, Saul was, I said last week, the tallest fellow in Israel. He was big. I mean, a midget compared with that Goliath chap, but still he was big. And in, in the royal tent, there's all the trappings of royalty, you know. David would have looked very insignificant, very weak. And suddenly, what were his sort of best clothes to go to the battlefront now looked very peasantish. His sheep herders' garments, and I mean, and it says that he was, you know, rosy-cheeked. He had no beard. He's just a, just a young teenager. He looked at so out of place in all of this. And Saul, who had heard that some fellow said he could take on Goliath, now looked at this little kid, and, and I mean, there's no hope here. I mean, dear Lord, what are we going to... This is ridiculous. And immediately began to tell David, have a second thought about this. That, that could be a key for some of you. Have a second... He tried to discourage him. You're a kid. You're, you're a child, for goodness sake. This man, I don't know if you understand it, little boy, but this man out there, he, he's not only big, but he's been fighting since before you can remember. He's an experienced warrior. What, what can you do against him? David very simply answers with the story about the lion and the bear. And that was all done because of a God who keeps covenant. And I think Saul felt, well, something's got to give. After six weeks, twice a day, we've got to do something. And if this kid goes out, by the time Goliath kills him, we can rush Goliath and maybe end this thing. I do not believe that Saul had an inkling that David would do anything. But he feels sorry for the kid. And so he says, well, if you've got the courage to go out there, go, you can use my armor. Wow, that's a privilege, king's armor. But don't, just a minute, this is a 14-year-old boy. And Saul, the biggest chap in Israel, to put Saul's armor on him, he looks like a clown. I mean, it's too big, it's too clumsy, the poor chap, he can't walk in it, he can't go out with it. These aren't the weapons that I use. He discards it, and he goes out. I mean, just that little tunic that he wore as, as a shepherd boy, and a belt, and there's a, a, a little pouch on the side. He's got a shepherd's staff and he's got a slingshot. You see, the Lord has absolutely no interest in anything that we call strong, mighty, powerful. He doesn't use it. He's not interested in that. Whenever we try to use what we think is powerful and strong, he always discards it. Do you remember Gideon who got together a great army and then God said, send them all home. I just want 300 of them. And of course, what I keep referring to, Deuteronomy 20, that idea that everybody go home who's got distractions or fears. Just leave me with whatever's left who trusts me. That, in this case though no one was reading the scripture, but in this case, it had come down to one man. All the rest of the army, including Saul, might as well have gone home. There was only one chap there who believed that God meant what he said. 
So it doesn't matter how he's dressed, doesn't matter whether he has armor on or not, God is with him. In fact, there's a phrase, and this is something I've been meaning to preach on for a long time. It's, it occurs all the way through Scripture. It is the expression, what is in your hand? When, when persons like David and they're faced now with this tremendous opportunity or challenge, and God actually uses that expression. I mean, how am I going to fight these people? How am I going to do this task? What is in your hand? Well, in this case, what is in your hand? Well, I've got a slingshot. That'll do, that'll do. I've got a man who trusts me, and he's got a slingshot in his hand. Off you go. And go he does. And as he goes, Saul says the most spiritual thing he knew to say. He said, go and the Lord be with you. Look, Lord be with you. Saul, if you believed that for half a second, you'd be going out there. You're just being religious. That's all. It's like saying, God bless you, my Yeah, right. You don't even understand the word bless. The Lord be with you. Yes, but the Lord was with David, and it wasn't because Saul prayed it would be so. He goes out, steps over the trenches, out there into the battle area, where Goliath has just finished his mocking of the people, and he... Like a great lumbering dinosaur, he's going back now across, back to his own camp. And David comes, makes enough noise, makes him turn around, and there he is. I mean, I get the picture. This little kid dancing. I mean, he can dance because he, all he's got on is a shepherd's tunic. He's carrying no heavy sword. All he's got is a slingshot and a shepherd's staff in the other hand. And, and there he is, dancing. Come on, I'll come to get you. Goliath is insulted. What do you mean you send out a kid who hasn't started to shave yet? Who am I? A lost dog? You come searching for me with sticks? And he began to curse David, threaten him. It's about time you had a second thought, David. <laughs> and then David shouts it back. It's like talking to Mount Everest. He says, you come to me and your weapons are a sword and a javelin, armor. I come to you with different weapons altogether. I come to you with the name the God of Israel, the God who has entered into covenant with humans. You're not fighting with humans, Goliath. You're fighting with the God who has sworn by his own being to protect this people and to achieve his purpose through them. Come to you in his name which means in Old Testament usage, name would be the personal, immediate presence of. He said, I come to you in covenant union. I come to you in the very presence. You see David, but around me, above me, under me, beyond me, is the God of Israel. And I come to you with his faithfulness and truth. And he quoted today to Goliath from Deuteronomy 20. The battle is the Lord's. That's the truth of God. He was fighting for inheritance. God had given them Israel. But you fight for your inheritance, not fight to get it. In, in the sense that You've, you've now got to do something to get it. But you're standing because it is yours and all the power to keep it is yours. And you're saying no to the adversary that would seek it from you. Very interesting. David sums up this whole battle thing by telling Goliath he wasn't fighting with Israel but with the Lord. But just a minute, that, that means then the Lord is not only in union, in covenant with David, but with the whole of Israel, with all those people back there in the trenches, terrified out of their wits. Yep, that's the amazing thing. 
that God is with those who've forgotten, with those who deny his power, with those who do not believe his word. God is with them, unnoticed, waiting, pressing, in fact, that they will open themselves up to him to attack them was to attack the covenant God said David he proclaimed the truth of God and then sent his little stone hurling toward that one place in the temple Goliath goes down on the ground and it's all over David took away the authority. That, that's the idea uh, of beheading. I'll take your head off. It's, it's the same thing back in Genesis 3.15 where it says that the champion, because that's speaking of Jesus, where it says he shall crush your head. The word is, it is head sort of, but it, it should be translated more like headship. It's your, it's your wanna-be authority. It's your want-to-be-the-head-over. Goliath stood for Philistine that wanted to be the head over Israel. David said, there's only one head, and I'm removing yours. Let me... As I said, David in this case, was a shadow of you and I. And I say that very carefully. He was not the shadow of some elite company of, what, do they still call it deeper life? When I was growing up back in the 1950s, it was all that deeper life, deeper life. That, that meant you're going to go, that's another phrase, go all the way with Jesus, you know, go all the way. Have your second, third, fourth, fifth blessing. Oh, yeah. No, 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 and no again. This is your common and garden believer. This is the person that has, what? It, this, is, this is the gospel 101. Understand all that is yours in Jesus. And bottom line, You'll spend the rest of your life discovering. But bottom line is, Jesus says, I am in you. And you are in me. Abide. Or stay in that place. This is who you are. That's bottom line. That's what calling on the name of the Lord is about. That's what baptism is about. You are in Christ and Christ is in you covenant relationship bound together shared destiny shared history shared strength that's a Christian that's who you are you may feel like one of the Israelites cowering before life that overshadows you you might be part of a black hole of despair you might look at your life right now and say, this is as good as it gets. That's beside the point. I'm, dis I'm announcing who you are. David was not elite. David was what they were intended. And the truth is that after this, after the slaying of Goliath, uh, and within a few years of this, David became king. And what David understood this aura of life around David he, he shared it with the whole of Israel and Israel became everything or at least moved toward everything that was intended they became a worshipping people a triumphant people they expanded their coast to everything God had promised them yeah it, it's plunge into the simplest read John 15 that'll do it uh, and 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 just that's true put your name in there it's talking about you and stand up to life 
announcing that you are one with God through Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit lives in you. The Spirit of Christ actually lives in you. And all his promises are yours to the take. Laugh in the face of the darkness. And in believing this incredible God, let your joy and your peace and your hope fill the airspace and location and move out from you. This. You see, David was operating from what we call the Old Covenant. That is the Old Testament covenant. And the New Testament makes it so abundantly clear. You and I live under a better covenant. That's why David, even in the Psalms and in the wonderful things he said, but he's only a shadow of what finally became concreted in Jesus in you and in me. So, up you get. Face life. Laugh at the darkness and establish hope and joy and peace and let rest in the finished work of Jesus be how you define your life. Let it be so. And now the blessing of God who is almighty love, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit fill you with his light of understanding and wisdom in this union that you have in Christ Jesus. That from this day forth you shall walk into life knowing that his new covenant is the good that he gets infinitely beyond all that we can ask or think or imagine. Let it be so in your life from this day forth.